1: Is the Kane's Corner Podcast with Adam Gold. Don't forget that you can download or subscribe to our podcast in the iTunes or Google Play Stores or listen to WRAL and on our WRAL Sports Fan app. Now here's your Kane's Corner Podcast host, Adam Gold.
0: Welcome to another edition of the Canes Corner Podcast. I'm Adam Gold, and we are joined today by Scott Burnside from The Athletic on Twitter. You can reach him at Overtime Scott B. He does the two-man advantage podcast with Pierre Lebrun. Every once in a while, they allow Craig Custance to uh, to join on. That, in my opinion, makes it a three-man advantage, but I'm not going to parse words. Uh, and I appreciate Scott's time. You're in town for a very big week. Of Carolina Hurricanes hockey, I thank you very much for showing up. <laughs> well, I've been uh,
2: I've been buying my time. I didn't want to come too early, and maybe put the heebie-jeebies on the uh, on the Hurricanes and their bid to uh, go to the playoffs for the first time since 2009, but I, I felt pretty confident and had talked to my bosses about, um, you know, spending a, a couple of days seeing a couple of games and uh, actually a couple of really uh, interesting opponents yeah. uh, while I'm in town with Pittsburgh and then Tampa. So uh, it all came together quite nicely and, and and pleased to be here. You know, I, I had a chance to uh, sit in on the Canes draft meetings in Dallas, right. uh, both the pro and, and the amateur draft meetings in Dallas uh, before the June draft and then was in uh, Raleigh rate right of hurricane time in the fall uh, at the start of training camp yeah. and um, Rod Brindamore was uh, very kind to get to sit in on some of the early meetings with uh, the players at camp and so it really is sort of a natural evolution to be here um, and, and follow up on. I mean, one of the. I think that they're one of the surprise stories of the NHL this season, and so it's it's been fun to watch them progress, and it and it's fun to be back in rally and, and and talk to to the people connected with the team uh, about what looks to be uh, a pretty momentous uh, spring for for a team that has, uh, has has endured a very long dry spell when it comes to spring hockey.
0: I appreciate you recognizing the at least the potential. I'm not a jinx kind of guy. But I appreciate just wanting to avoid the entire, uh, the entire issue because we know how fans are. There was a time last year, Scott, and this is a true story, and uh, my, uh, my cohort from the radio station here also covers the Hurricanes. Alec Campbell will point out that um, I usually watch the first two and a half periods from upstairs and then watch like the last anywhere from five to eight minutes uh, from ice level down by the Hurricanes locker room. And there was a time last year where I would go downstairs with the Hurricanes leading, and it was like clockwork. As soon as I would get in the elevator, the opposing team would score, tie the game, or force overtime, or do something. And it was, it was just an ugly thing. But that has not been the case this year, so maybe it's not really a jinx. I, I, I do want to ask you this question about, the way the, uh, everybody has perceived the Hurricanes, I think there's been a lot of people over the last few years that have been baffled why this team hasn't been better. And it's based largely on the analytics that, uh, that the sport uses, whether it's Corsi or Fenwick or whatever else you wanted to use to determine who should be good, expected goals, things like that. The Hurricanes have been among the top teams in the league without getting the results on the ice. Uh, so is this kind of it's finally here from people around the league or uh, in your conversations, how have they approached what's going on right now in Raleigh?
2: Yeah. I mean, it's a great question because you're right. I mean, they've been a team that, you know, I think a lot of people have been looking to the last two or three years as being ready to you know to take that significant jump back up the standings and, and be in the top eight in the Eastern Conference and I don't know whether it's been a function of the injuries I don't know whether you know the goaltending mm-hmm. probably hasn't been what it has needed to be right. uh, in terms of pushing a team you know from you know whatever the number is ninth tenth eleventh twelfth in, in the conference to to into that playoff spot. Um, but I think it's fair to say probably the goaltending hasn't been, you know, where it was, where it needed to be. And uh, so that's been a function. And, um, you know, waiting for players to emerge or, you know, it's, uh, and I don't know whether, and I hate to use the term perfect storm, uh, given you know, storm <laughs> surge and all those kinds of things, right. but I, I will, but and maybe that's just what it is. And maybe it was time, maybe it was time for Rod Brindamore to be the coach here and to bring, what he's brought to the table and 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 uh, you know when you talk to people around the game I had a long chat with the Rick Dudley yesterday mm-hmm. and I think for him and there's a guy who helped to to put the cornerstones in place in Tampa for a Stanley Cup winning team there in 2004 and has been you know part of uh, the the foundation being laid in Chicago um, before the Blackhawks won their three cups between 2010 and 2015, um, so Rick Dudley knows whereof he speaks, and and he and you know he pointed to a couple of things, uh, but really just thinks that the coaching staff has done um, a, a job that's been off the charts here, and I think that's I think that's probably fair. And it, it was funny I got a chance to sit down with Rod. Um, yesterday, when I mm. when I got to town, and we talked about the first, you know, the first quarter of the season, give or take, you know, the results weren't there certainly, in terms of the standings, in terms of the points, and and I think, you know, there there might have been some moments where like, holy cow, is this just, is this just going to be Groundhog Day all over again? And yet, you know, from uh, Rob Brindamore's perspective, the team was playing well enough to win early on. Uh, they didn't get the results that they wanted or needed, uh, but stuck with it. And, you know, in it's all those cliches, but when players like Justin Williams and Jordan Stahl buy in, um, it makes it, uh, easier for guys like Sebastian Aho and Taru Taruvinen Tyven- and uh, uh, Svechnikov and the the young players uh, around, you know, who are going to be the core of this team, um, they follow suit. And uh, and I think you've seen certainly since the All Star break, um, you know, when this team plays. I, I thought I'm, honestly I, all season I they've been one of my favorite teams to watch. I, they play such a fun style. They are the chances are are, you know, sometimes at both ends, but they generate yes. <laughs> so much. They're a very creative team. Uh, I You know, they're just, to me, they're what this NHL is about now, right? It's speed, skill, it's, you know, go end-to-end. End. Uh, goaltending has been terrific, and what great story. Peter Morazic and Curtis McElhaney. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's been fun to watch, and uh, so it's... Uh, you no, maybe it is the perfect storm. Maybe that's it. You started with a question, and I rambled on for about ten <laughs> minutes. But I, I don't know. Maybe it is just the perfect storm. Maybe it's just their time.
0: Well, I think so. You 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 touched on something. Scott Burnside from the Athletic is here on the Canes Corner podcast. Uh, in that, in the first half of the year, and I have it broken down pre New Year's Eve and post New Year's Eve. Uh, the first thirty-seven games. Uh, they were very happy with the way they played. They were obviously not very happy with the results that they got. They were 15-17-5, and five, and that was after a 4-0-1 start. Uh, but Rod had a, had an, a, the ability, and I think you touched on at least one, uh, maybe both of the reasons why it was able. he was able to get it through. Um, he had the ability to convince this team with the help of Justin Williams that they were doing the right things, that if they kept doing the right things, it will eventually turn in their favor. They just could not buy goals for about a six-week stretch of, uh, I really, uh, November, December. Could not buy goals. And they stuck with it, stuck with it, and all of a sudden, in a stretch from New Year's Eve on, they got a bunch of weird bounces, puck started going in, and then they became a good, maybe not a great offensive team, because I I still don't think they're a great offensive team, even though they scored a bunch of goals. Um, But they've become good enough, to where the chances that they create have, you know, the numbers game works out. It's like in sales, uh, if you get enough leads, you eventually get enough sales. Well, they've gotten enough scoring chances that they've eventually scored enough goals. And as you said, the goaltending has been great. But to me, the what Moore and Williams have done as a tandem, which they did as players, by the way, um, what they've done as a tandem, coach and captain, to convince these guys to continue to do the same thing over and over again, and it would eventually work to me is the, under, the unsung story of what this team has been about. Because I would argue they played better before New Year's Eve in terms of the style that they want to play, even than they've played since.
2: I think you're absolutely right. And Rod actually said the exact same thing. He said, our best hockey was in the first 25 games. And, you know, that's a, that's a gutsy thing to say in some ways when, you know, when you, when you look at what's happened since the all-star break or since uh, January 1st or whatever your line in the sand is. Um, But, but it must give, you know, I think it's real reason for enthusiasm too, because I mean, what, what has to happen here? And, and I think, you know, who knows how it unfolds. But it can't be – can't go to the playoffs in 2019 and then go dry for two or three or four years, right? I mean, and certainly you can't do it for 10 years. Um, but I think what what we've seen from this team and what we've seen from Sebastian Ajo and from Terravine and, and you know, for me, Svechnikov has been so uh, interesting to watch, I would say, in the last 20 or 25 games, really, you know, sort of coming into his own. He's probably – you know – I don't know whether there's room for him on the on the the rookie ballot um, with Patterson and the and Bennington and mm-hmm. the St. Louis, you know. But you know, he's quietly put together a very nice rookie season, and I'm I'm curious to see. To me, he's a guy that could, you know, could be a difference maker in a playoff series. So it, it's been it's been fun to watch, and it also suggests to me that let's assume that the Carolina Hurricanes are going to be part of the playoff tournament mm-hmm. this year, that it's not. It's not one and done. Um, but, you know, I mean, there's all kinds of cautionary tales, right? I mean, Colorado, you know, <laughs> right. hanging on for its life uh, in in the Western Conference. New Jersey a year ago um, going to the playoffs and, and now, you know, May end up with the first overall draft pick, right? One of the worst teams in the NHL, so it's it, you know, you can't you can't count on anything. But I think the signs point in the right direction here in Carolina that this is this is sort of the end of a long cold uh, winter, if you will, and that the, that that the, these this team does represent. Something that should be uh, should be very dynamic and should be fun to watch for for the foreseeable future.
0: And one, one of the things that I listened to on your podcast, the Two Man Advantage podcast that you do with Pierre, and I believe uh, the post trade deadline podcast also involved Craig Custance, if I'm not mistaken. And whether it was on yours or others that I have listened to, um, there was some criticism of Carolina for not doing anything. At the trade deadline, they just said this is the roster that got us back in it. This is the roster that has put us essentially on the verge of being in the playoffs. This is the roster that we are taking to the finish line. This team deserves a chance to be as is. Uh, they didn't tweak at all. They didn't add depth uh, forwards, unless you c- count Thomas Yurko, uh, who was, I-, I guess, aptly named a bunch of Yurks. Uh, I guess for the uh, for the minor league team. Uh, but they didn't do anything, and it was in some circles, even here locally, there was some criticism. Uh, what was your view of where the team stood on deadline at the deadline, and has anything changed since?
2: Well, I see. I would argue that they they made you know one of the most impactful moves uh, was in acquiring Nino you know, Niederreiter. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And uh, <laughs> um, you know, and, and you know, in, in in a hockey deal. So you're right. It wasn't. Uh, it wasn't. Wasn't you know, trading picks for players, which is what most, you know, traditional, I use my air quotes, the buyers at the trade deadline, you know, you see a lot of that. So this was a hockey deal and, you know, credit Don Waddell. And I know I'm talking to Rick Dudley about this. The team did a lot of research because, you know, he wasn't, it wasn't working out for him in Minnesota the way he wanted. And certainly the way it had, you know, when he first got to, to the wild. And there was some sort of, you know, it was clear in Minnesota, with Paul Fenton in his first year as a GM, that he he wanted to change the identity and the, and the kick was not character, but the, um, the the identity of that team, and that's why you see uh, Charlie Coyle in Boston, it's why you see Macal Grandland in Nashville, and it's why you saw Nino Niederreiter uh, coming to Carolina. Now he got a little got a, some younger with those deals, but it, for me that deal. Uh, it just fit perfectly for what the Carolina Hurricanes needed because at that point you didn't know whether you were going to trade Michael Furland. Mm-hmm. And I, I get the idea that, you know, that's that's a, hard, that's a hard line for Don Waddell and the management team to walk because it, it, I think, you know, who knows what happens in July, but Michael Furland is likely going to walk away as the UFA right. on July 1st. Um, he's an important part of this team. Um, could I talked to a scout who said, well, basically, if you trade him, it's it's hard to replace him. But I think what you did with Nino Niederreiter is that it was a great insurance. It was a hedge against the potential for Ferland to go. Um, they play a little bit different style, but Niederreiter is a big body, not afraid to go into, uh, into the corners, not afraid to go in front. He'll score in tight. Uh, he does have a good shot. Uh, and he has been... Terrific, right? I mean, yeah. the, you, there's the, the proof is in the is in the stat sheet. Yeah, what a great ad for this team. So, I, I don't look at them as really standing pad. And then when you don't trade Ferland, that's almost it's a Pierre LeBrun. Always, I don't know whether he's uh, copyrighted the phrase or not, but it's like an own rental, right? <laughs> so, um, you know, so it's I. it, it, it all worked out. And, and sure, it didn't—you know—it didn't look on the surface maybe like the team was doing much. But I think they were, those were two significant elements to what, you know, who knows what happens in the playoffs, and uh, and you know, who knows if they win a round or two. So I I, I thought that uh, Don Waddell and his uh, management team handled the trade deadline quite deftly.
0: You you make a very good point. Scott Burnside from the Athletic is joining us here on the Canes Corner podcast, uh, and I actually wrote uh, we, I cover the team and write for our website, and I wrote prior to the deadline that this team, the roster that they have, this is the roster they should take to the uh, to the end of the year, uh, and it was about a month or so after the Nino Niederreiter Victor Rass trade. I don't think Paul Fenton takes Don Waddell's calls anymore uh, because that is that's going to be like. Uh, Kurt Flood for Ernie Shore or whoever was traded, in. The, not the Lou Brock for Ernie Brolio. I actually think the trade was uh, in baseball. I mean, the Cubs got fleeced in that trade, and uh, or Rick Wise for Steve Carlton. Uh, there's just no way that Paul Fenton's going to look at that. Even the best of Victor Rask uh, really isn't close to what uh, Nino Niederreiter has been. It is. It was. Uh, Frillin was an old rent, own rental, and Jordan Stahl was coming back. Uh, off the injury. So you're here. Scott Burnside is here. You're here this week. you got Pittsburgh. We're taping this Tuesday prior to the game against the Penguins. Um, we'll talk a bit about the Penguins in a second. And then you've got Tampa on Thursday. Now, I guess if the Hurricanes finish in wild card two, they won't cry because they're in the playoffs. But <laughs> Tampa is would be the matchup, and that would be devastating. Uh, how, do, how do you look at the Lightning? Because they're so far and away the best team in the sport. But once everything resets to zero when the playoffs begin, are they still that much better or does the gap n- naturally narrow? Yeah,
2: I mean, it's a great question. And it's, I mean, look, I, to me, one of the great, uh, you know, the compelling parts of this final. Two to three weeks of the regular season, you know, as we're chatting here, most teams are now closing in that you know, on that ten-game left mark, and, and some teams are inside that now. So we're it's down to brass tacks, and it, the scramble in the in the East is to avoid being in that second wild card spot, <laughs> and it's it's such a great, it, it's such great. Drama or theater, because you got Columbus and all that they did at the trade deadline. You know, you're all Kekalainen pushing all his chips into the middle and saying, "Okay, let's go for it," and really, you know, sort of hanging on by the skin of their teeth. Uh, I think Montreal, it, it, you know, has played themselves out of the the playoff race, but it's it, you never say never. But they they do seem like a team that has has run aground. The offense has dried up there, and even with Kerry Price playing as well as he has for the most part. Uh, they just don't seem to be able to to, 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 gain, to gain the traction that they'll need to get in. But just, it stays the eight teams that are in, as we're chatting now, and I think that's probably going to be the case, the jockeying for positions, and we're talking about everything from first place in the Metro, home ice as the second place team, and then filtering down and avoiding that second wild card spot. It could be any of those mm-hmm. teams, really, right? The, you know, a bad week by the Islanders or the Capitals, um, and it changes the complexion. Even in terms of the top end of the metro, so it it is great theater, and really the 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 key element is to avoid that second wildcard spot and playing Tampa. And and to your question on, they are so they are like they're a million miles from the rest of the NHL right now, right? They just are. (laughs) But you raise an an excellent point because we've seen in you know as recently as sixteen and seventeen when Washington won back to back Presidents' trophies. And I remember in 16, particularly, uh, acquiring Kevin Shattenkirk. Um, I think it was 16, maybe it was 17. Regardless, the year that they acquired Kevin Shattenkirk from St. Louis, uh, and I remember thinking that's as good a team in Washington as there's ever been, and that (laughs) this is their time. And, of course, they get dumped in the second round. And um, The ability to elevate your play in the playoffs is critical, and it will be just as critical for Tampa as it is for any of the other – 15 teams that make the playoffs now they're going to start with a bit of a head start um, but if they can't find a way to play even better to find a a different gear of urgency and uh, all of those kinds of things um, then uh, then somewhere along the the way someone will trip them up Uh, I doubt if it happens in the first round but uh, let's just say for fun it's Pittsburgh and right then the first round do you how 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 often do you throw your you know your your bet down and say i'm going to bet against sidney crosby and evgeny Malkin assuming he's healthy and back for the playoffs uh Chris Letang, who looks like back and and should be ready for the playoffs as well jeez that that's a You know, that's a first-round series that that you'd want to pay attention to, even if there is an enormous gap in the standings heading into it.
0: Yeah, and also if you think about what Columbus did by adding Duchesne and Dezingle, and they've got Jones, and they've got Wierenski, and they're just loaded top to bottom. They have three legitimate uh, dangerous lines. If that's the matchup for Tampa, I mean, that could be a problem, too, especially you've got a world-class goaltender in Bobrovsky. Bobrovsky although he has not been world-class wow. in the postseason.
2: yeah, And I think that, I mean, it's a terrific point, but it's interesting because Carolina saw the good Bob yeah. recently <laughs> and, uh, in a game that, you know, by all rights, the Carolina Hurricanes should have come away with two points or at the very least should have been able to get a loser's point by uh, going to overtime or a shootout, right? They, that's yeah. what they deserve given how well they played, and it didn't happen, of course. And if that Sergei Bobrovsky shows up, uh, in the first round, and if, regardless of who they're playing, but let's say they they settle into that second wild-card spot and play Tampa, that becomes a very interesting series because I, I John Tortorella is a, a heck of a coach. Columbus plays a hard playoff style of hockey. They're back end as terrific as you point out. Um, and they've added world-class talent in, in Zingle and Duchesne. And they, so th- you're right, this is... You know the, these are the this is why you play, and it's you know it seems kind of uh, it, it seems counterintuitive that a team as good as Tampa and who will win the president's trophy by an enormous margin, it, you know, the potential for them is is to not get much of a great. You know, there's not much of a bonus for them in the first round. I think it's completely different in the West, where the team, whichever team settles into the second wild card in the, in the West, and maybe it's Colorado, maybe it's Arizona, maybe Dallas drops down, maybe it's Minnesota. Um, those teams aren't very good, right. relatively speaking. And if you're Calgary or San Jose, maybe Winnipeg can edge back into the, the number one seed in the, in the Western Conference. But that, there is an actual, in theory, there is an actual benefit to being that top seat, uh, and I, I'm sure if, if Tampa draws Columbus or Pittsburgh, they're going to look at, at the, <laughs> the sheet and go, geez, you know, 130 points, and that's we get Sidney Crosby. That doesn't seem like much of a deal."
0: Yeah, well, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure they would rather draw Carolina, and I, I'm not trying to disparage the Hurricanes. Uh, the, the game down there which is one of the uh, only eight that the Hurricanes lost in regulation uh, so since New Year's Eve. The game down there, Carolina was the better team for roughly 52 minutes. And then Tampa scored power play goals about two minutes apart on not questionable penalties. They, they were penalties. They probably should have gone, been coincidental minors twice, but it doesn't matter. Uh, the Hurricanes definitely did commit penalties. Uh, and then Tampa just did what Tampa does. And they just erased not being the better team because their level of talent is off the charts. Um, Where do you? I mean, could Carolina finish first in the Metro? I mean, because I think the range for them is because they're only six points behind Washington and the Islanders. There's game. I think Carolina has a game in hand. I I think Washington still wins the division, Uh, but Carolina could finish anywhere from second or I mean, they could still miss the playoffs, especially if they don't beat Montreal on Sunday.
2: Yeah, well, that's it. That's the, that is the, you know, the, the harrowing part, I'm sure, for, for fans and, and maybe for the players. Although, I think the, my sense of this team is that they, they know what they have to do. They, this is not a team, you know, and again, because the offense seems to be clicking, and you're right, people can go dry at a moment's notice, I suppose. But uh, to me, it's harder for a team like Montreal to get back up off the mat, um, having, you know, at one point, Not too, too long ago, battling with Toronto, uh, ahead Mm -hmm. of Boston. uh, You know, contemplating at one point, I think we were contemplating a a much long-awaited Toronto-Montreal playoff series. I think (laughs) '79 was the last time those two teams played in the postseason, Um, and now Montreal is completely. You know, they've they've faded, and I think it's harder at this stage of the season to to come back, and especially with so many games now going. To overtime or a shootout, those three-point games are killers for teams like Montreal that has ground to catch up and teams to leap over. So, um, you know, could Carolina end up in first place? I, you know, to me, that's more of a stretch. Yeah. than With the, the three-point games, I, I, what I don't think is beyond the pale is could they have home ice advantage? Yeah. And could they settle into that second spot in the Metro? And uh, this week is interesting, of course, with Pittsburgh, Tampa, of course, that game against Montreal. Uh, I like what. Carolina has done though, where they have taken care of business for the most part, they've beaten teams that they needed to, you know, the win over Buffalo, even though that they got down early. Um, th- that's the mark of a team that is in a pretty good space. I think when you don't have those, uh, you know, that you don't let points uh, run through your fingers that, uh, you know, that you should be able to put in the bank. And so this week becomes interesting and puts, you know, there's some pressure on Pittsburgh, of course, less, pressure on tampa uh, obviously but i think there is a possibility for carolina not only to go to the playoffs but to have home ice advantage and how much fun would that be I mean, there's a, that would be a pretty good way if you're going to break a 10-year playoff drought uh home ice advantage and being able to tailgate and and hang out to before games one and two yeah. and again i'm old enough i i was here in oh two i was here in oh six here in oh nine um you know people you know, people don't understand that it's the you know this is as fun a place as there is, um, or one of the most fun places I think come playoff time to to watch a, a hockey game as there is on the on the NHL uh, landscape.
0: All right, final thing right. for Fine. Scott Burnside, Burnside. Uh, from the Athletic Burnside. at Overtime at Scott Burnside. B on Twitter, Two Man Advantage it's podcast he okay. does with Pierre LeBron on the Athletic, it's outstanding. Uh, subscribe to it as right. I do and I download do. it download. 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 Uh, as soon as it's there. It's there. All right. Yeah. All right. I didn't want to spend a ton of time on it because, frankly, we're over the story here. But during the Buffalo game, I got wind of a story that I think is it just uh, important to just uh, kind of insert into a conversation. How do you think players around the league view the storm surge post-game celebrations the Hurricanes are doing? Yeah, that's a good question.
2: Um, i don't I, uh, my guess is they probably don 't spend a lot of time thinking about it um, but i don 't like i don 't get any sense that of any kind of you know quiet backlash or oh my god that 's embarrassing or you know any of those i i, I get zero sense of that I, I i honestly here's my here's what i honestly believe i i don 't think I, my guess is if you pulled the Six hundred and fifty other players, or whatever the number is, the very few would would you know would be on the care meter above one or two. Um, so I, you know, I think that you know you leave that to people like Brian mm-hmm. Burke and you leave it to Don Cherry and <laughs> um, and I. It's funny. I, I live in Atlanta. I was at uh, my son's uh, state tournament uh, in uh, suburban Atlanta two or three weeks ago. And there were a bunch of a uh, bunch of jerks uh, T-shirts. Yeah. I don't know where the people got them or whatever. But I was like, and I, that was, I, I was that's the coolest thing. Yeah. And uh, to me, it's it's part of the story about not just this team, but how this team is connected with its fan base. And you know, this is it's been a long, hard road here, and for this team. Um, to be connected with its fan base in a way that we haven't seen, probably you know, go back to '06 if you want, maybe '09, but it's it's been a long time since mm-hmm. there's been a strong connection like this. And I, I you know, for me, I, I love every minute of it. Uh, I I I wait for like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of fans who aren't at the games, uh, you know, that I tune in because I want to see what they're going to do next. And uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Um, and I think, frankly, the fact that there's been some criticism from from guys like uh, Cherry and Burke, I, you know, I think, I think that's all goes to um, sort of solidifying or galvanizing what's going on in that dressing room and, and what's going on in this marketplace. So I, I, my guess is the players around the NHL, well, I don't, but you know what, they, they hate it because that means they've lost a game in Carolina. Right. That's, that's the thing.
0: Yeah, the interesting thing, when Don Cherry— I mean, Brian Burke started saying this at the beginning of the year. Uh, when Don Cherry called him a bunch of jerks, I thought, well, he's got to be in on the joke now, because what Don Cherry just did was make that uh, more of a thing. And that's when the T-shirts came out. That's where the Bunch of t- bunch of Jerks T-shirts came out. And that's really what has driven this to, uh, as they say in uh, Spaceballs, it's gone to plaid. Uh, it's just been tremendous. Now, quick story. Uh, I, this is an absolute fact. I'm going to keep the player's name out of it. Asked one of the hurricane staff if it would be okay, what, what did they think of him sticking around and... After the game, to see Carolina's celebration because he loved it so much
2: <laughs> serious uh, see, I love that I, now I want to know how many players are secretly buying bunch of jerks t-shirts that's the other <laughs> uh, that's the question uh, that's, you need to need to find out whoever's selling them and how you, you track that how many are going to NHL arenas and dress uh, practice facilities uh, around the NHL that's that's where the true story is.
0: We are a bunch of jerks, uh, and that doesn't have to do anything with hockey. Scott Burnside from The Athletic at Overtime, Scott B. on Twitter, the Two Man Advantage podcast with Pierre Lebrun. It's nice to see you here. Uh, we hope to see you here again in the middle of April because that only means playoff hockey. Scott, thank you very much for the time. I appreciate it. We will talk soon. Yeah, anytime. Anytime.
1: That's this week's Cane's Corner with Adam Gold. Download or subscribe to our podcast every Monday during the Carolina hurricane season in the iTunes or Google Play stores or listen at WRALsportsfan.com and on our WRAL Sports Fan app. And don't forget, for the latest Cane's coverage, log on to Sportsfan.com. Every game on the Cane's Radio flagship ninety 99.9 The Fan.